Behind the bells and whistles of most success stories are private, transformational moments that ultimately changed the course of our lives. You Did That celebrates the black sheep who are often the first or only ones in their community to find success on their own terms in leadership, relationships, and life. Most of our guests have two things in common. They have achieved something pretty cool, and they often have done it without a role model or template to follow. These success stories are both singular and universal, and we hope that they inspire you to do your thing too. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to You Did That, the podcast where we speak to really cool people doing really cool things, often without a blueprint or a role model to follow. And I'm really excited that today we have Habiba Syed here with us, also known on Instagram as Chef Telu. <laughs> Hi, Habiba. How are you? Good. I'm excited to be here. I know. I'm excited to be here with you too. Um, you and I have had many conversations, but this is our first official for public <laughs> consumption conversation. So I'm really excited to talk to you more about your upcoming cookbook, but also just your journey exploring Afghan recipes and um, kind of what they mean to you and to our community. And I just really love following your journey. Thank you. No, I'm really excited. Um, to be having this conversation with you as well, Sarah. So a little bit about myself. Uh, yeah. My name is Habiba. I am an Afghan-American uh, Muslim. I grew up partly between New York City, uh, California, um, and went to school in Delaware. So my family moved around a lot. Um, by profession, I'm an English instructor for the City University of New York. Um, I'm also a food writer and recipe developer. Uh, my hobbies include recipe testing, uh, food photography, and just generally networking with foodies um, in the field. I got to say, though, my favorite part of my unofficial job is just engaging with the Afghan diaspora um, through this tiny food yeah. Instagram page. Um, but, you know, food just generally has a very special place in my heart. It's... Um, it's comforting, it's healing. Um, there's this exciting nature about it, right? Because there's always something new to try out and, or cook, right? Or, um, or connect over with your friends and family and loved ones. So, um, so that's, that's me. That's a little bit about what I, what I enjoy doing. I know. I, I, I think food is one of those things that's, you know, when you meet people, they're like, you know, everybody talks about what they do and they might talk about um, movies and TV, but food is another one of those really easy catch-all subjects that, you know, everybody's got a lot to say about it. And on the surface, it can seem kind of like, oh, this is just something that I do. But as you're describing, um, it means so many more things to people. And I kind of wanted to share your story because it means something specifically to displaced communities like, like Afghans and diaspora. Um, but I think so many other communities um, can relate to that of like, this is how I learn from other generations or I teach newer generations. This is how, these are one of the closest memories I have of um, this is what it means to be Afghan. And um, so I think sometimes people are like, oh, it's just food or it's just recipes, but you know, it's so, so much more than that. And um, you mentioned this like 
tiny page. I feel like it's tiny, but it's growing. And I think there's so much, <laughs> I'm sorry, as both a, as you are both an English instructor and a foodie, I'm sorry for the pun that I'm about to say, but there's oh, no. definitely a hunger for Afghan culture and community. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, we'll take it out. We'll take it no. out. No, no, I love it. I love it. Bring, bring all the puns. Um, but I bet that you have seen a lot more interest in growth, especially in the last few years um, from the Afghan community. That's a total assumption on my part, but have you found that to be true? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, um, you know, Afghans in the diaspora, I think we're connecting on the level where food means home for us, right? It's it signifies something. Like you said, it's 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 very surface level conversation, but can quickly turn into, you know, this reminds me of my grandmother's kitchen and et cetera, et cetera. And so like deeper like family stories, right? The roots um, where one comes from. And so it quickly becomes a very politicized debate too about what is the most authentic version of X, right? And so that is something that I wanna explore in my writing and in this project as a whole is, you know, I consider myself Afghan American. And so I'm sort of this hybridized, you know, version of both of these communities that I've been exposed to. And so I know folks, you know, strangers on the internet will yell at me sometimes about, you know, why are you putting this ingredient in, you know, ogura or kichure or something that I make? That's not how it's made. And, you know, sometimes um, it can get a little nagging, but I also have to like admire the ownership to that, mm -hmm. that thing, right? You so deeply, you know, feel connected to this dish that is that resembles home to you right that resembles your family your roots to you and so it's only natural right that you would sort of like take ownership over that and, and think of it as there's only one version right because in your mind that version is the version of your childhood yeah. um and and it has that significance and so sometimes i see folks like getting really um possessive of that right that that yeah. thing only belongs to them but when you think about, you know, to the extent of which, like, where have Afghans been um, moved to, right? Where are they refugees in, and mm -hmm. where did they settle? And um, it's like on a global scale, right? And so you see Afghans in other places in the world making things that have some elements of familiarity to you, but then overall, like, it might taste very different, right? Or it might look very different. And so where do we decide like where authenticity ends and where hybridity begins? So mm -hmm. that's, that's like the question that I'm, I'm interested in interrogating. Wow. We just got real deep, like real, <laughs> um, but it's true. It's like, when I'm talking about food, I'm really talking about, you know, fill in the blank. We're talking about home. We're talking about displacement, politics, culture, tradition, um, family, and, I think like you're right I think people get possessive very protective of it and I in a way that only a displaced community would be because if you know I don't live in Afghanistan but if I were there nobody people would be like oh wow you tried this new thing or like oh I'm I'm experimenting I'm adding different ingredients and that doesn't mean the same thing as like well this is all we have left and we need to protect it and don't call yourself Afghan and don't like okay like <laughs> we're not doing all that I'm literally just trying to make dinner and experiment <laughs> and like who has the right to like 
you know, do we want to protect tradition and keep things um, how they were, which by the way, is literally just one person or one neighborhood's experience of it, or is there some freedom in like adding, subtracting, replacing certain things? And when I think about that, you know, if I was going to say, well, we're talking about food, but we're also talking about identity, um, you know, because I'm obsessed with it. And that's, that's how my work intersects with it. Like, it's what they're really saying is be displaced, be a child of immigrants or refugees, be a first or second gen yourself and act like you're still living in a place that you might have never been to. And it's like, why are you telling? That would be unnatural to me. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so I that's why I'm really excited by your work. And I'm, I am so surprised that people are out here like berating you. <laughs> Maybe they're not berating you, but I'm like, wow, people feel so strongly and they're really saying like, this isn't authentic. I'm like, I was just excited to see somebody else like making the food I made. I don't know, I don't know what the ingredients were. Um, yeah, it happens. I mean, and that's when I, you know, it's like sometimes it pertains to like the ingredients that I have um, listed as part of a recipe that might seem, you know, very familiar or like, you know, meaningful, meaningful to them. On the other hand, it's also like language too. Someone was yelling at me recently about calling leeks gandana and mm-hmm. I was like well what isn't that what it's called and like that's that's what I call it and there's an entire debate how like Chinese Chinese chives got into the conversation and like all scallions and green onions and all so it was like it, it, it turned into an interesting dialogue but you definitely get folks that are very invested in like how you're portraying something that is deeply meaningful to them and sometimes it's annoying and other times it's admirable. I gotta say, if you have that much like willpower to like get on the internet and like express your very strong opinions about how you're describing gandana, like something that goes in ashak, then I gotta say, you're, yeah, like let's talk, right? I welcome those conversations. I'm not like put off by them or anything. So it's it's just interesting to see that sort of like protectiveness, right? And it's, I think it's also, it stems from like, we are part of a population that has repetitively been portrayed in a certain light. And so we are very hesitant to give up those pieces that are very important to our identities, right? Even if it is someone else who is claiming to be Afghan or, you know, Afghan American or Afghan Australian or whatever, that that hyphenated identity a little bit takes away right from your (laughs) you're not completely Afghan so do you do you have the right to say that when you think about reputation and how we're portrayed maybe the person doesn't care that much like I'm gonna yell at you I'm still gonna use your recipe but we really (laughs) need to pay attention to how we represent ourselves even when it comes down to this and I didn't see that exchange but are you saying that there's different words other than gandana for different types of like leeks or chives or onions apparently so um someone sent me like (laughs) searches like google searches and stuff i have screenshots i have all the screenshots (laughs) you know that actually i kind of love that because if there was one thing that afghans would have a hundred words for it would be onions (laughs) you know i mean like (laughs) 
oh, different culture. They have a hundred words for love or a hundred words for um for snow, like people who live in the cold climates. If there was one thing we would have a hundred words for, it would be onions. For sure. That. I mean, yeah. That's how every recipe so, starts, right? <laughs> yeah. Get the diced yeah. onions out for sure. Um and you described this uh just like your cooking career and your interest. Um, I don't remember if you said this was like a, a hobby or something that you do on the side, but um, I think you've been doing it for some time now. And I, I was curious, when did it feel like this is a official or legitimate, like I'm going to add this to my resume or that this is part of my work? So I will not be as apologetic as you were, Sarah, about the puns that I'm about to throw at you. But this idea has been simmering for some time now. Okay, so... <laughs> I've had like sisters on my case, cousins, friends, colleagues who have either seen my writing, seen my interest in the space, uh, tried my food, gone out to restaurants with me, knows my obsession about identity politics mixed in with culinary adventures. And so I think if there was ever a moment that this became official for me, because I think these things like sort of evolve over time and it makes space in your like being that it must have been when my grandmother Bibi passed away last year. Hmm. And so, so much of what I remember about food and the kitchen, the sense of my childhood, um, are in a way associated with with my grandma, even when they come through my mom, right? I'm reminded of her because they're so alike. Mm -hmm. Um, So I knew that in order to preserve her legacy, her Afghan bold Mm woman-ness, her resiliency um, and her recipes that I now like had this calling, right? That I had to take this on and what casual conversations were they all of a sudden turned into something that I was like hmm I can't sit around and complain about we don't have enough representation when I have the tools or the ingredients to do something right greater than myself and so then I felt like a true calling to it because I was like my kids are not going to grow up around my grandma right and so where does that end and I I didn't want it to end right I wanted I wanted to preserve that part of um, my childhood and and my grandmother. And so that's when it became sort of an official thing that I, that I knew I had to do. Wow. That's really beautiful. And so personal, like we've been sitting here discussing like, Oh, what does this mean to the greater community? But I think the most successful and something that has the most longevity is when it's extremely personal and you know, even if nobody ever tastes my food, like this is something I'm going to do no matter what. And I can imagine, you know, I'm sorry for your baby John, but I can imagine that when she passed away, you were like, either I'm going to do this or I'm not. And I'm going to do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, for sure. It was definitely that moment that I was like, I don't want to, I don't want, for one, I was like, this is something we desperately need as a community, right? But I knew that, right? So I think you're totally right in saying that once it became a little bit more personal for me, then I was like, okay, I, I sort of knew that 
I was like, this was something on my bucket list. I, I definitely wanted to get into the space. I just maybe needed like something more personal attached to it where I was like, okay, now this is calling. This, this is mm-hmm. calling for me. Yeah, because that is going to sustain you during those times. I can definitely speak for my own business and my own experience. Like when those challenges come up or people are arguing with me over vocabulary on the internet, like for real, like we don't have bigger problems, but anyways, um, there will be times when it's, you're like, I forgot, I lost sight of like, why am I bothering? Why am I doing this? And so when we have something that's really close, like just a part of us, um, even if we do take breaks or we back off of things or whatever, of course. Um, but that's what's going to always bring us back to it. And I'm curious, like we spoke a little bit about this, but what have been some of the challenges that maybe were surprising or that you didn't know would happen um, as you developed this practice? Sure. So I think that's a tricky one. There have been so many, but I think some right now like are standing out more than others as I continue to like work on this uh, project. I knew that this was a space that I wasn't familiar with, but I was willing to learn and, and sort of ask around, investigate, um, you know, took workshops, connected with people in the field. And that's coming from a very scholarly place because I am a scholar and an academic. I'm like, these are the, these, these are the steps I need to take mm-hmm. um, to get this done. And so I quickly realized that the publishing world has changed so much in the last decade or so and that in order to become a published author, now I needed to do things that were sort of outside of my comfort zone. And so publishers these days, I mean, I could speak to cookbook authors um, since that's what um, my interests are. Um, But I know that in the cookbook world that publishers are looking for more than that creative mind, right? They're looking for more than that work ethic and that writing skill and recipe developing um, and even beyond the ideas, they're looking for platforms, right? They're looking for marketability. They're looking for, are you able to pitch this idea? And that that, that has a very like um, salesperson kind of vibe to it that I was like, I don't know how to do this stuff, right? I could write like scholarly articles and like pitch them to like journals and stuff. But like, this is a new space that I haven't really seen myself in and so the greatest challenge for me now um, has been you know getting comfortable in something that I was like I don't think I'll ever do that because I don't see myself as like this is my work and like putting a value to something that's Mm -hmm. like so creative and um, meaningful to me so and I imagine that this is true for like most artists out there is like you know, you make music, right? That's something that you pour your heart and soul into. And then now someone's like, well, how much would you sell it for? And that is a difficult question for me to confront, right? Because the artist part of me, right? The creative side of me is like, I can produce this beautifully written and photographed, you know, project. And the other side to that is, well, can you sell it now? And if you fall short on that, like what happens, Um, right? Do you just have this project lying around or do you just not ever sell it or what happens to it so that's something that I realize is a challenge for me and something that I like continue to to work on yeah I can definitely relate and interestingly like your personal story is often I mean in general that's true but even hearing your story like that is the most compelling part so 
you're telling me I have to like literally put my heart and soul out here for people and like ask them to value it when it's the most precious thing to me. Like, I don't want to do any of that. And on the other hand, I do want people to know this, like I would do this for free. I would do this by myself, but this is for more than just me. And I can relate to the like, well, I'm just going to do it. And if you all like it, like you can come with me, but publishers do not like that. Um, you have made your way up in academia and that you're instructing other students and, you know, you've worked really hard to get where you are in your quote unquote, like day job. Um, do you think now doing both, like, and now working on this cookbook and this cooking platform, like which of those would you say um, has been more challenging for you? Um, I want to say that teaching in the traditional sense, like the classroom space has always felt familiar to me. Um, I don't know if it's because now that I've been doing it for many years or something that I always knew I wanted to get into. So I was like sort of mentally preparing myself for, for that space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I got to say that this endeavor with like cooking and instructing, even within my writing, like recipe writing is a very different kind of skill set, mm-hmm. right? It's not the same as academic writing. And so it has taught me to come out of that shell of like, right for years, just writing in a very academic and monotone, like serious kind mm-hmm. of a, a of a tone, right? Um, and then now it, within my project, I want to highlight Afghan joy, right? I want to highlight our... Um, our happiness, our resiliency, our perseverance, our survival. Mm-hmm. And for that, I need to come out of that sort of mindset of, because we've, we've heard, you know, the narratives that talk about our demise, right? We've seen the representation that um, I do not want to get into right now, but, you know, we don't, we don't need yet another cookbook that talks about or another publication or another representation of our people that talk about us in this dim, you know, depressing sort of, you know, barbaric way, right? I want to highlight our joys and our lives in a way that is relatable, right? That we, you know, cry and laugh and experience life just as anyone else does. And so to make our starvation or our difficulty or our challenges like our like monolithic identity is like very problematic for me. So in a way I'm like having fun and like experiencing this new way of like writing because it's satire, right? It's witty, it's funny, it's relatable in so many ways. Um, But it has been challenging because like I said, it's unfamiliar territory for me. I'm more used to, you know, being in a classroom space. I'm more used to literally, more used to uh, writing in that academic tone and just being in that space and now it's like oh now I have to sort of evolve again as the writer and as a thinker and how do I want to tell our story so that's been that's been really um challenging and also very fun to experience oh wow that's so cool I didn't realize um now I'm like really excited because I had no doubt that the cookbook and the recipes would be um obviously have more of a spectrum and not represent us in a certain way. But um, when you said satire, my ears perked up. I was like, all right, like this is something different. And like, there is so much more <laughs> to this. So now I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of all these like pretend titles that I have in my mind, but it's okay. I'll wait. I'll wait till it's published. I really want to <laughs> know what it's going to be. 
Um, but I can see how for most people, academia is so intimidating and like, you know, it's such an impressive thing to do. And what does make it easier is like, is you're like, I always knew that I was going to do this, or this has been my interest for a long time. I worked really, really hard. I'm not going to pretend like it was easy. Um, but that is, that has been my comfort zone for a long time. And to shift gears to something that is much more personal and less, you know, clinical or generic, academic, like you said. Um, side note, I would love to see like an article about a recipe written in that like MLA format of like, <laughs> like and then I don't even know how, what it would sound like, but I would like scream reading it. So if you ever <laughs> do that, I would like it would be so funny to me but um while some people might think it is easier to write more conversationally um writing is hard no matter what but um it's interesting that that is the pivot for you and you're like oh my gosh I really just get to say what I want what do I want to say and like what is my responsibility and how much research am I going to do and I can imagine that the support and excitement that you've gotten so far as well as some of the criticisms or um, people trying to nudge you in a certain direction are probably really loud in your head as you're formulating these things. And I hope that, you know, I have known you just for a short period of time, but I was like, I really want to hear what this person has to say. And you treat the recipes and the culture with so much, like in such a precious way, you know, so I'm really looking forward to it. Well, thank you. No, that means a lot. And, and you know, they are precious to me. I think in my life that food has just been that constant source of joy and again that aspect of healing right that I remember getting sick and the first thing my mom would make me is like the simplest shola you could possibly think of and was like don't eat anything else right so there's always this return to food and it's so universal and so unique at the same time right and so not to bring up hybridity again but there are like difference but similar right difference but similar difference but similar and the repetition of that makes it unique and that's what's exciting about it that's what's you know innovative about it, is that everybody has their own take on something um so so the recipes are precious to me they are um they all indicate like a very um you know some happy times and some challenging other um so so yeah, I hope that I can convey that in, in the project. You know, we were talking about being possessive and protective and I was just daydreaming about like, booties are like these sleeper influencers that like, I see so many of my fellow communities where suddenly like Vietnamese food like takes off and then everybody's like opening rest, everybody's writing about it and they're like, well, this is authentic. And like Jonathan Gold is like going to the Ethiopian restaurants and you're like, all right, buddy, like, that's great. <laughs> and one part of me wants to be like, because people who know food, people who know Afghan food, then I'm like, yeah, people are obsessed with it because it is so good. And they're like, I feel cool. I'm like the hipster foodie because I know about Afghan food. And part of me is excited for it to become, I don't want to say mainstream, but more popular. Um, and it would be kind of a trip to see <laughs> non-Afghans eating Afghan food. But then on the other hand, I do feel protective and I'm like, oh no, I got so 
made fun of for these recipes and these foods growing up if some <laughs> white girl is like I'm gonna bring some bulani to your potluck I would be like <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that you know <laughs> yeah I think this I mean I I, I feel it so deeply like what you're saying and and I think this goes back to like our earlier conversation about like how people get possessive about it and so there is this uh like another local foodie and I were trying to visit this restaurant and and I was like um it's called authentic Afghan restaurant or something the word authentic is in their title like in their um, restaurant name and, and you know it's good. I called us yeah so I was like excited about it because it was a grand opening Opening, um, and I, I messaged this. Um, it, I messaged them on Instagram, and I was like, "Can I see your menu? I'm really excited to come by and give you guys a review." And sure enough, they sent me the menu, and it was like mango lassi and like chicken wings and mozzarella sticks and certain things. Oh, I want to say over half the menu was like not clearly, uh, you know, authentically Afghan at all. And so I was like, I had a lot of questions, of course, and so I'm like asking this individual questions and then they were like just call me and I'm like okay <laughs> so okay, I called them like, up and I'm like what's this invitation but okay yeah I was like what's what's the deal and I was like you know that I'm like um you know an Afghan blogger and I'm I'm really interested in like what your take is on on this new restaurant and and I I found myself being in that space where I was like really possessive of like don't call this authentic Afghan food if you're gonna have non-authentic Afghan food on your menu and like just call it what it is right if it's a fusion like call it that if it's you know your take on you know this and this mesh together like a hybrid of something like call it that um, I think that at least I could speak for New York City that there is this pull towards like Afghan or Middle Eastern or Mediterranean. Um, cuisine and so oftentimes you'll see that you know in flashy lights like in front of the restaurant but then sure enough you walk in and their menu doesn't represent what they're claiming or a very small percentage of it will be actually like from that place and so I, I was like I'm not coming to your restaurant you need to you know you need to change this around because I'm not reviewing an authentic Afghan restaurant with like you know it was like um they had like samosa chart and like other stuff and I was like I'm sorry I can't I can't even do that that's like that's not ethical I'm sorry <laughs> so so there is this like pull towards representing Afghan cuisine but then when you find out that it's far from it it, it is like appropriation right it's something that we're used to as a community and so I am quick to be like well what part of this is Afghan and like who is your chef and he identified himself like from being from another country and I was like it doesn't matter if you're running this place like that's okay but like who are your chefs like someone that's Afghan needs to be in there because I don't know there's a separation for me because how are you going to produce authentic Afghan food without the identity or the experience behind it like how does that even happen yeah um, it's one so thing there like, are a lot of questions it's like you can cook non-Afghan food but then you're also like not even cooking the Afghan food well. I'm sorry, like please don't call yourself authentic. Um, what has surprised you the most? I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things. Um, what has surprised you the most about this process? That's an interesting question. I think, I think one of the things that has surprised me the most about myself is that 
I have been growing in this space in ways that I didn't didn't know was possible or didn't think that I would be able to. I always fall back on this question of, well, what is what is, what do I hope for this project to be? What what are my goals with this, right? And so, is my discomfort greater than that? And I always answer no, right? My personal discomfort is absolutely not greater than this this endeavor, right? This undertaking that I like promised myself, right? In a way, I promised Bibi that I would take this on and and work on it, like for as far as I could to make sure that it comes to fruition. <laughs> but, you know, something that's, that's also evolving, right? It's I'm growing with this project too. And again, it's like that unfamiliar territory. Um, and it's been fun. It's been difficult at times because you realize your limitations and that that's okay, right? And so, this is a lecture that I give to my students. And like, if only we took half the advice we gave to other people, right? And it's like the failures that you have are probably more meaningful to you and they change the trajectory of your life greater than the successes that you have because they teach you something, right? They teach you something about yourself. Um, and so to me, I was like, this is it. I'm, I'm a great fit right? I'm going to do this and it'll be a smooth ride. And that's amazing. And that's great. great. That couldn't be farther from the truth, right? I have learned so much in the sh very short period of time that I've decided that I'm going to do this, that I can't wait to see what's in store. I know it's not going to be something that I'm like, yes, you know, like easy success, like very, very um, um, familiar to me because it's not right. I haven't done this before. I know that I need um, you know, the resources, the context, the conversations that have to be had. Um, and so that is my greatest surprise is that just when you thought you couldn't change something about you, you absolutely can because you go back to, well, what, what was my goal, right? What was, what was the beginning of this? What is the root of it? What did I hope to accomplish? And my discomfort is not greater than that. So I'd rather be uncomfortable for a short amount of time to know that in the long run, I, I did something. And it makes it that much more meaningful. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And it's kind of what you're describing is um, something that a lot of entrepreneurs say is like, if you do have to be really good at what you do, you have to master your craft, whatever that is, but that will not be enough. Like, well, what do you, I have these recipes. I've been working on them for a long time. Uh, I'm going to speak with this publisher and then that's it. And then they hit you with all this other like ancillary stuff that you need to do. And you're like, okay, isn't it enough that I'm just really good at this? Or, you know, for me as a therapist or a coach or any of the other things, um, when we talk to entrepreneurs, like your craft has to be solid and you have to learn other things. And even if you learn the other things, if you have a huge platform, if you nail your marketing, all these other things, that also is not enough. Like you have to, your work has to also be rock solid too. Of course, it's always evolving, but there has to be that foundation. And so one of the questions I ask people is like, what is your advice? Um, what would what advice would you give to someone who was like, Habiba, I really want to do an Afghan cookbook. And I think what you're saying is you have to 
<laughs> know what you want to do, become good at it and be prepared to be totally unprepared for the other stuff too. Yeah. I think a piece of advice that I would give is in order to have that strong foundation that you were just referring to, you have to make changes that are sustainable and feel genuine to you because I have found in the past that I have just like um, rushed into things and realized like I need to take 10 steps back because I'm, I was just not prepared for this. Um, and so while I pre appreciate like the ambition of, of doing something like that, it's still like realistically, you have to look at the time that you have available, the knowledge of, you know, whatever it is you're, you're taking on. And so the other thing I'll say is to do things on your own terms. Um, it took me uh, quite some time to realize that I'm enough for change to happen. So I found that I was like constantly looking for like partnership, like teammates, like a collaboration, because the idea of doing something that was unfamiliar was like terrifying, right? But I've learned to like embrace that solidarity. Um, I know the skill sets, I know the talent and the ideas and the work ethic that I bring to the table. And not to say that you can do everything all by yourself all the time, right? Of course, you're going to be asking for folks for help, getting guidance along the way, um, investing in, in whatever it is that you're working on in all sorts of ways. Um, but I would rather, you know, bet on myself and, and because this is my passion at the end of the day, right? I can't trust that someone else will bring that level of interest and passion into it. Um, and in a way it's unfair, right? You're put, putting that responsibility on someone else and expecting them to, to bring that to the table. And if they're not bringing the same amount as you are, you feel betrayed, right? How, why is it that I have more, you know, passion or interest or, or, you know, ambition for this thing to happen? And if they're not meeting you there, it's hurtful. So why set myself up for that kind of um, disappointment when I can say I can counter myself? I know how to, not in the sense that I'm like, I'm self-sustainable and I don't need anyone, more so in don't give up on your passion because if you think you're all alone, then you won't be able to do it. And that's that's not true, right? You can always do something in solidarity um, when it's meaningful and you put the work into it and you have the passion for it, then then it will then it will happen for you. Oh, that is such good advice. And I love that you put that like you are gonna be doing something unfamiliar and your instinct will be to um maybe lean on others more than you ordinarily would, or to, well, I can't do this by myself. I need this other company or this person or something to like justify, legitimize me. Um, and I think what you're saying is it's great to collaborate with people. It's great to be in community and you will need help with things, but um, always start from a foundation of like yourself. Yeah, For that's, sure. that's really good advice to anybody um, trying to do something new. So thank you for saying that. Um, and I ask everybody this question um, and uh, I'm going to ask you too, just to sort of close out our interview. But um, if your younger self could see you now, what would she think? So this is always the question that gets me and I'm, I'm not planning on <laughs> sobbing by the end of this, Sarah. Okay. You will not break me. Um, I think that this needs a little bit of context because my childhood was, um, I want to say, 
traumatic in, in many different ways that um, if I imagine a little me, I wanna like desperately reach into this vision, right? And share, like shake this little girl and sort of wake her up. Um, and if a younger me saw me doing the rock star shit that I've been up to these days, I'm sure she would think that I'm someone else because it would be so disconnected from like the reality or the experiences of my childhood that it would just be like, that can't be like full denial. There, that's impossible. That it, it just, it doesn't calculate. It would break, it would break her brain, I think. Wow. Um, that's one of the best answers <laughs> I've heard. I love that. Like, it's so cool that you can't even imagine it. Yep, for sure. And that's, that is the honest truth. Oh, yeah. Um, that is one of my favorite answers. Uh, and I'm glad that you shared that. Um, it means a lot. So I think for people who are, you know, comparing themselves to others or saying like, I have this big goal, but I don't know if I can do it. It doesn't have to be from childhood to now. Like if I even, if I saw myself from five years ago, I'd be like, whoa. Um, so I'm glad that you're reminding us of that. Um, where can people learn more about your work and make sure that they can get their hands on this cookbook when it comes out? So I, you can find me on my Instagram, Shiftalo. Um, I also did a really cool collaboration with Rumi Spice. And so I definitely want to put that plug in there because they work with Afghan women farmers in Afghanistan. Um, so definitely check Rumi Spice out. I did a spice collaboration with them over the summer and I created a kofta seasoning uh, spice mix. And so you can imagine when we make kofta, we add like, you know, many spices. And so now it's compact into this one pack. You just add this to your kofta and you're good to go. So when you say you want to bring Afghan food like to the mainstream, right? This is this is a step closer to, to getting that. Um, and I believe that they are available in um, Whole Foods like across the United States. So um, I think it's, I think they have a great mission. Um, they do support um, women farmers in, um, in rural areas in Afghanistan and that's where they harvest their spices from. Cool. All right, you heard it here first. Afghan food is in Whole Foods, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm definitely gonna check that out because it's true when you're making kofta, there's a bunch of different spices and if we can get them conveniently, that would be even better. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Chef Dalu on Instagram. Um, and thank you so much, Habiba. This was a really great conversation. Thank you, Sarah. It was really great. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of You Did That. My name is Sarah Stanizai. More about all our amazing guests and the You Did That community by going to my website at www.sarahstanizai.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating and review. And thank you to the woman-owned business, All Out Virtual, for producing this episode.